Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 5 through 8 today. A passage of scripture that will minister to your heart if you've come today with an open heart. I know this morning as I was driving into town, I had a decision that I need to make in the near future on my heart, and I was thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and couldn't come to any guiding principles of what I needed to do to make the decision. And I thought, okay, i got to stop thinking about this and think about today's sermon. And suddenly I realized, Jim, if you need some wisdom, ask of God. That's what you're going to be preaching about today. And I wonder if there's anyone else that it's very easy to be in Bible study mode or in life mode and not realize that the two things really need to meet one another, they need to go together. And so today, this message is just dripping with practicality, and who knows, it may even answer a question that you have, like it did for me this morning as I was driving in. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, if you're able and willing, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. Father, we do ask today as we read and spend time in your word that we will find immediate application in our life, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. When the pathology report came in, it confirmed Daryl and Catherine's worst nightmares. Catherine had stage three papillary serous, which is a high grade of cancer. The doctor outlined an aggressive approach for her. They swallowed hard and they realized that the trajectory of their life had just changed. Now their primary task was her health and her treatment. The hospital was going to release her soon, but only for a week. She was going to go home for a week, and then she was going to have to come back in, and they would begin the second phase of her treatment. Catherine didn't react very well to the chemotherapy. She became what Daryl described as violently ill vomiting, diarrhea, difficulty breathing, the whole works. I guess what you've heard it could be is what it was for her. And Daryl began to wonder, is this what life is going to be like? I don't know if I can do this. Daryl wasn't questioning whether he wanted to do it. He wasn't questioning that part of his wedding vows that talks about in sickness or in health. He didn't know if he could do this. 
He didn't know what else to do, and so he prayed. There was a lot in his life that he couldn't change. He couldn't change the fact that Catherine had a terminal form of cancer. His Google search rendered the result 100% terminal when he searched. Or that if the disease didn't kill her, it looked like the cure would. Maybe some of you have been there before. He couldn't change his own limitations. He wasn't a nurse. He wasn't trained to be a nurse. He didn't know how to be a nurse. And he didn't know if he had the strength to be a nurse anyway. And in this moment, he didn't know what he should do. Because in a week, she was going to be back in the hospital where she had been for so long. This week was her respite. It was a time to be home among familiar things. And he was afraid that if he took her back to the hospital, he was afraid it would demoralize her. It would crush her spirits. That it would, in fact, make things worse. And the last thing he wanted to do was to harm his own wife. Knowing her like he did, he felt like this would crush her if he took her back. So what should he do? He weighed the pros and the cons. And finally he did what James told him to do. He prayed. And he asked God for wisdom. Last Sunday we studied the first four verses of this book and and if you remember, James got right to the point. He says we need to consider it all joy whenever we encounter various trials. He doesn't define which kind of trials, whether they're ones you brought on yourself, if they were undeserving. He doesn't give any kind of, he said, just says various trials, which could mean garden variety trials. Or later he hints in his book, he could be talking about even the kind of trials that come as a result of persecution. Regardless, he says, when they come, we are to rejoice. Not a natural thing. We spent quite a bit of time unpacking that fact that it is not natural to behave in the way that James was telling us to behave, which was probably, which was definitely, the reason he made this an imperative command. He says, do it. And we learned last week that trials are the very thing that keeps the faith alive. They build endurance, they purify us, they strengthen us, and for all of these reasons, not because of the pain that we go through, but for all of these reasons, we can, we can rejoice when they come because surrounded by the, the knowledge of the outcome, we know that God is a good God and that God loves us and that if we must go through suffering, we will not go through it alone. Most of us will be surrounded by His people. All of us will be encouraged by His Holy Spirit who is there to go through it with us, to empower us, to enable us to make it to the other side. So last week, I talked about that. Next Sunday, Pastor Charlie will be preaching on 
James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And he's going to show us with God's word that trials help us keep the proper perspective about wealth and what we're really dependent on. Now, in between those two passages of Scripture, we find our text today, a text about wisdom. And so my question is, is it out of place? Is James talking about wisdom like in general wisdom? Or is he giving us this exhortation about wisdom because he knows that where we're in the midst of trials, it's exactly what we need. We need God's wisdom. See, trials lead some to think that the trials themselves, what we're going through in that moment, is punishment for wrongdoing. That's something that uh, even when we are talking to our friends that mean to encourage us, it's something that sometimes even comes through with their question. The implication or the outright accusation is that, well, obviously, you did something wrong or you wouldn't be going through this difficulty, would you? Now, is that or isn't that not exactly what happened to Job? Job's friends came to his side when they heard about his calamity, and for a little while they comforted him until they opened their mouths and started talking. When they started talking, they gave long speeches. Now here Job is. The only relief he can get is to scrape his sores to try to bring some relief from the skin disease that he had that was compounded by the grief of losing everything. He's in a moment where nobody seems to understand him not even the one that is closest to him. In fact, her advice is just curse God and die. Let's get this over with. And Job's friends come and they think that what he needs is a long speech. And so they start talking. They blame Job for the trials he was experiencing. According to his friends, his suffering is his fault. Now I just... I just summarized Job chapter 8 through chapter 22. Spend the afternoon reading that instead of watching football, and you'll see whether I summarized it accurately or not. Well, you can take my word for it. That's pretty much what they said. You're suffering. It's your fault. God would not let this happen to you unless you were a dirty, rotten weasel. So that's why you're going through it. Now, last Sunday I hinted about this because I mentioned that James gave a reference to Job's suffering in the final chapter of the epistle. Let me read it to you again just in case you've forgotten the details of it. Verse 11 of chapter 5 of James. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You've heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. This is so beautiful. The outcome of his suffering, compassion, he is compassionate 
and merciful. In the midst of all of his suffering, Job didn't come on the other end of it saying God is unjust. But he said that God, the Lord, is compassionate and merciful. Job's suffering was catastrophic. His faith response was unprecedented. He was blessed, he endured, and experienced the great compassion and the mercy of the Lord. And in the midst of all of his suffering, against going against the grain of all of his advisors, his family that survived, and his friends, Job had unusual wisdom. There was a discernment and a confidence. It wasn't just that he knew a lot. It was that he knew God. And he knew the kind of God he was. Excuse me, the kind of God he is. We never speak of God in past tense, do we? The kind of God he is. He knew And he was wise. Now here's the problem. I remember back in junior high when I hadn't had a chance to study for the test that I would pray that God would give me the answers. <laughs> Am I the only one? You see, that, that somehow... Sometimes how we pray for wisdom. We find ourselves in a pinch. We find ourselves in a crunch. And we have not prepared ourselves by being in the Word daily. By having a constant prayer life. By reflecting on not just what is right or wrong, but what is fitting in this situation. And then we come to the Super Bowl of Trials having not done any reps, any practice, any other games, and we say, okay, God, give me now what I haven't cared about up until now. You know, when Jesus faced temptation in the wilderness, he quoted scripture to Satan three times from the book of Deuteronomy. You know why he was able to quote the book of Deuteronomy? Because he, well, I guess because he wrote it, but because he had read it. Because he had meditated on it. And oftentimes, we face the tempter. The solution is God's word. But if we have not hid it in our heart, what do we have in that moment? You guys tracking with me? You see, the reason Job had wisdom was, yes, he asked for it, but he had been pursuing it for a lifetime. And I fear that we often do not understand that the spiritual disciplines are practices of our faith week in and week out whether we feel like it or not. 
It's what prepares us for these major trials that come along. See, the problem with many people is they pray for wisdom and they hear a voice, but they don't recognize the voice. Because it's been so long since they talked to him, they don't know if that's God speaking to them or not. You know, every time my mother calls, she says, Jimmy, this is your mother. <laughs> I know who she is. I recognize her voice. If she called you, she'd have to have introduce yourself. Hello, friends of Jimmy. This is Jimmy's mother. I need to talk to you. Because you haven't heard her voice your whole life, right? We recognize the voices of the people that we talk to often. And in these moments when we need to know the wisdom of God in our life, it may be that he's speaking to us, but we just don't recognize his voice because it's been so long since we've heard from him. He asked God for wisdom, and God gave it. In fact, God tells us that in the midst of a rebuke of Job's friends in Job 42, 7, here's what the Lord says. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Elpaz the Temanite, I like to call him the termite. He spoke to the termite, and he says, I'm angry with you and your two friends. For you've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Where did Job get that wisdom? Well, Job 38 and 36 indicates that he got it from God. Job's friends were overt with their criticism, but even if the accusations are more, more subtle or implied, it's easy to get the message that we deserve our suffering. I remember years back when the AIDS crisis uh, was coming to a surface and I had opportunity to minister to people with AIDS. I never once asked them, how did you get this? That was none of my business. Suffering knows no morality. And whether they got it through an immoral means or is irrelevant in that moment as a minister of the gospel when I come to minister grace and hope. And the last thing someone who has made a mistake, perhaps, needs is somebody to beat them up with the God stick. What they need in turn is somebody to be loving and caring and compassionate and listen and to help. That was true then, that's true today. We don't have to pronounce judgment on people who are suffering, and by the way, if you're suffering, even if it's your own fault, do you need us to pile judgment and conviction on top of you, or has the Spirit of God done that enough? It seems to me that we need to come alongside people and to help them in their trials and be unlike Job's friend. And let me say, 
my grandmother's wisdom is good. If you can't say anything good, just be quiet. Say nothing at all. Did we have the same grandmother, by the way? I don't know. They all seem to say something like that. Job's friends, they could have benefited from drinking deeply of that advice. But instead, they just piled on. And God's, now I don't know. What about the termites' friends, right? I mean, God didn't even call them by name. I mean, at least the termite, he calls them out by name, right? He says, he says hey, termite, you and your two friends, right? And then he just rebukes them because they were not speaking rightly about who he is. You know, whenever we're in the midst of a trial, we're beaten down by the weariness, the accusations from others can just wear us down, we can get discouraged. We can spiral into self-doubt and defeat. And while we'll acknowledge that there's times that our suffering comes because we've made poor decisions or maybe even immoral behavior, trials sometimes are corrective punishment. But even if that's what they are, it is good because it corrects us. It gets us back on track. But not all trials are. And it takes wisdom, the wisdom of Job, the wisdom that comes from God, not to descend into that downward spiral of self-pity, to do what his wife said to do, curse God and die. He didn't go there because he had wisdom. See, during our trials, we don't need worldly wisdom. We need godly wisdom. James makes a distinction between the two of those, and we'll study that when we get to James chapter 3, verses 13 and 18. Job's wisdom was not godly wisdom. It was worldly wisdom, even though what they said sounded religious, and even though it could be proof-texted, their worldly wisdom created strife. You want to know the difference? Worldly wisdom creates strife. It's contentious. Godly wisdom is gentle and merciful. A wise person can discern what is right, what is just, what is fitting for a specific situation. Knowledge is needed, but knowledge is not enough. Uh, neither is learning from past mistakes. Some would define wisdom just as realizing you did something wrong and learning from it. See, both are needed, but neither are sufficient. We need the Holy Spirit guiding us. We need godly wisdom. You see, wise people are more than experienced or smart. They are discerning. And that gift of discernment is a gift from the Holy Spirit of God. Because just because it was fitting then doesn't mean it's fitting now. This circumstance, this situation could be different. We must be spirit-filled. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is when we learn from a mistake and say, next time I'm going to do this this way instead of that way. 
Well, how about this? Next time, take into account the lessons you learn and drop to your knees to pray for wisdom from God. Because this time, he may ask you to respond differently than he did that time. A good example of that is Moses at Meribah. This was the second time that God asked him to bring water from the rock. The first time he asked him to strike it. The second time he asked him to speak to it. And because he struck it in anger instead of spoke to it, he was not allowed to lead the people of God into the promised land. You see, just because it was the right fitting thing last time doesn't mean it is this time. We need wisdom. Now, if I'm preaching with clarity and you're listening with discernment, then right now, every one of us should be experiencing twin emotions. We should be experiencing uncertainty and fearlessness. Uncertainty because we cannot depend upon worldly wisdom. We cannot just depend upon our knowledge and fearlessness because we know we can depend upon God. And if we ask Him, He will give us what we're asking for. He will give us that wisdom and we'll know what to do. In fact, James says that God will gladly give you wisdom. Sandwiched between his direct teaching on trials, the passages that came before and the passages that Pastor Charlie will exposit next week, is this section on wisdom. And that intimates that when you're in a cycle of trials, anybody know what I mean by that? A cycle of trials, not the everyday run-of-the-mill irritations, but it seems like you're getting hit on all sides. Whenever you're in those cycles of trials and you need godly wisdom, not run-of-the-mill wisdom, not homespun wisdom, not the proverbs of our grandparents' wisdom, but God, breathe on me in this moment what I'm supposed to do, wisdom. And we can have confidence that God will give us that wisdom. In fact, James says that wisdom is yours for the asking. You don't need to be hesitant. You don't need to be sheepish about it. You ask and God will give it to you. Why? Because he is a faithful God. Proverbs 2 and 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding the source of wisdom is God. So you go to God to ask Him for it. Now I don't want you to have the impression that this is name it, claim it. I don't want you to have the impression that you just picked up a genie on the seashore and after you rub it, that genie must give you your request when you ask. That's not the point because what James is saying here is conditional. He says he will give you wisdom if, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. 
Have you noticed that all of these uh, passages of Scripture that talk about prayer and God will answer your prayer, they're almost always conditional, just as John 14, 13 through 14 requires that you ask in Jesus' name. And Matthew 21, 22 requires that you have faith when you pray. And 1 John 5, 14 says that when you ask according to his will, he will answer you. Here James says that when you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you when you approach him in faith. He's asking you to trust that God will give you the wisdom you need, but you do need to ask. And you do need to ask unwavering with faith. And here's the rub. Wouldn't it have been easy for Job to feel uncertain about himself in the midst of his trials? And to start believing that maybe he did deserve what he was getting? His friends, his surviving family member, they were all in agreement. All he needed to do was admit he was wrong and God would stop lambasting him. See, whenever the trials come, there's some uncertainty that comes. In those moments, we start second-guessing ourselves. We tend to lean on the faith of others, but when the others have no faith, who do we lean on? See, even people that believe in God, and I remind you that James is writing to believers here, even people that believe in God can become paralyzed by the ceaseless, slow dripping and flood of the internal arguments that make us spiritually seasick. In one moment, they lean to one direction and trust in God, in the next moment, they do not. They're tossed back to and forth by the swelling waves. There's no solid footing. Though they do not doubt that their God exists, they no longer believe or wonder with confidence. Can they believe that God is still a good God and will answer their request because look at what's happening in their life right now. Because James knows what it's like to live through trials. He knows what human nature is. He tells us, you can trust in God. Regardless of what's happening around you, you can trust in God. Approach Him boldly. Get your knees underneath you, not because you're strong, but because he is faithful, he'll respond. He'll respond to his children that ask with unwavering faith and confidence in God, a firm belief that God will supply the wisdom they ask for. Those with wavering faith 
sorry, they're not going to experience it. This unwavering faith is being in the presence of God and not doubting that He is sufficient and able. See, we're not talking about doubting the existence of God. We're talking about doubting the faithfulness of God. He is faithful even when we're not. You know, a fitting example is Solomon. Solomon's name, as you know, is synonymous with wisdom. And he didn't become wise by studying biographies of other wise people and learning from their wise decisions. He didn't become wise by learning from his own mistakes. Solomon was wise because God gave him wisdom. 1 Kings 4.29 says that, that God gave Solomon wisdom. And God gave it to him after he asked for it. 1 Kings 3.9 Here's Solomon's words. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now it's appropriate to ask for wisdom in your own personal trial, but I want you to notice that Solomon asked for wisdom not to benefit himself, but to benefit God's people and his kingdom work. He had a task that was greater than he could do because he wanted to serve the people and serve them well. Could have asked for anything, but this is what he asked. He wanted to be a faithful servant of the Lord. And to do that, he needed God's wisdom, and God gave it to him. They did admit Catherine in the hospital. And Daryl stayed with her until almost midnight, and then he decided he needed to go home and get some rest. No longer, no more than got home and dozed off to sleep until he got a 1 a.m. phone call from the hospital. They, his wife was now in ICU. Well, just a few hours before, he was deciding whether he should take her in or not. He didn't want to discourage her. He didn't want her to have a setback. Now she's in. He's gone home to get some rest. They wake him up. She's now in ICU. She's got shortness of breath. She has difficulty breathing and a hard and a very low heart rate. The nurse said, stay, there's no reason for you to come in. We just wanted you to know. Daryl drifted back to sleep, and three hours later, he got another call. Your wife has thrown two massive emboli, blood clots. We need your permission to do a procedure on her, the hospital said. If we do... There's a 10% chance she won't make it. We need your consent. Daryl says, what happens if we do nothing? After a pause, the nurse said, if you do nothing, she will die. 
Daryl consented. He got dressed with a little bit of sleep he'd had. He got to the hospital as quick as he could. And he sat in that waiting room not knowing if he would see his wife again. 10 a.m., the doctor came out into the waiting room, and perhaps you've been in those situations, and as the doctor comes out and you try to read the doctor's face so that you know ahead of time what the news is, by 10 a.m. he comes out. He says, I got good news. And then here's what the doctor said. God must be looking out for Catherine. Explained the outcome of what they had done and how she was doing. But Daryl didn't let that just said. He said, Doc, you said God must be looking out for Catherine. Why did you say that? Here's the answer that the doctor gave. If she had not been admitted in the hospital when she was, you would not have had time to get her here soon enough for us to help her when this happened. She would have died. Now I know that this story proves nothing and that if you're skeptical, you could mark this event down as a mere coincidence. That's not the way Daryl views it. He believes God gave him wisdom. And I do too. He cried out for God's wisdom. And God led him to do the right thing. Friends, I don't know what you're going through in this moment, what you've been through. And you and I, neither one knows what's around the corner, do we? But this I know for sure, that even when life is horrible, God is good. And when you can depend on no one around you, you can still depend upon God. And James interrupts his teachings on trial, or does he? To talk to us about wisdom. And he says, if you need it, step right up. Approach your good God and ask him for it. And he'll give it to you.